in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. South Carolina beat UConn in the national championship game last night. It is the second national championship for South Carolina. Their first was with Asia Wilson of the Las Vegas Aces back in 2017. Asia Wilson, by the way, sitting on the front row right behind South Carolina's bench last night. South Carolina lost last year in the final four by a single point. They actually had two shots at the rim in the final two seconds that would have advanced the title game. But they didn't make either one of them. Lost last year in the Final Four. Now they came back, the number one overall seed, and won the national championship. And what's one of the more incredible stats, handed Gino Ariema his first ever loss in the national championship game. Ariema, going into last night, was 12-10 and 10 in semifinal games. In the Final Four, he was 12-10, and 10, which is, you know, you win just a little bit more than half the time you're there. Okay. But he was 11-0 and 0 last night going into the title game, which is absurd to have that long of a winning streak in what should probably be a toss-up game the majority of the time. Three things to take out of this game, and I'll do the first two quickly. Uh, one, Dawn Staley, the South Carolina coach, becomes the first African-American woman with multiple NCAA championships. I think that's notable uh, to mention. I think uh, Aaliyah Boston is probably Tyler Bischoff's favorite oh, women's basketball player because... She averaged 17 points and 12 and a half rebounds this season in 27 and a half minutes per game. Efficiency. No one loves efficiency more than Tyler Bischoff. She has efficiency. The third thing that I'll spend a minute on here, uh, Gino Ariema, you just mentioned from UConn, the coach. Uh, I think Gino Ariema shows you a path for what Mike Krzyzewski could have been, right? There are people who don't like Gino Ariema, right? And he's a face that's out there all the time. There are times that he has sounded like, you know, a guy who has snapped on uh, reporters a little bit and snapped on his team a little bit and this and that. But I think you've seen some humanity out of Gino on the, you know, on the stage, on camera, et cetera. So, yeah, Gino Ariema having lost for the first time in the finals is just remarkable. Uh, one thing on Aaliyah, or two things on Aaliyah Boston. I love that she has multiple different colors in her hair. Uh, every team needs at least one person who has bright neon colors in their hair. And two, you say she's one of my favorite players. Beyond the efficiency part, her post-game interview with Holly Rowe. So last year, she was like, everybody had pictures of me crying because she missed one of the shots at the buzzer in their loss, and she was crying afterwards because they didn't win in the final four and she had a chance to send him to the championship game she's like everybody has pictures of me crying well here i am smiling now and we're won the national championship i absolutely love that i love any type of even though it's not really trash talk but any sort of like this is exactly how i'm feeling this is how i'm going to say it in interview Aaliyah boston's great so simple. It's it so simple. simple. Yeah, it's a, simple it's game. a game of inches at the same time. So those simple things yeah. are not always so simple. It is a it's clearly. a game of inches, ask the Cox. I did not watch the Super Diana Taurasi um effectively manning cast of the national championship game, but I feel like I missed out after hearing that. No comment, but yes. <laughs> uh Tiger Woods will be a game time decision. For the Masters, he tweeted on Sunday, I will be heading up to Augusta today to continue my preparation and practice. It will be a game-time decision 
on whether I compete. Um, this is the main thing that'll get me interested in the Masters. As somebody who doesn't care too much about golf, I am more interested in Tiger Woods making the cut than I am who actually wins the Masters this weekend. My friend Chad suggested something that I think has as likely a chance as anything of happening. It says Tiger's going to go up there. He's going to play the practice rounds. He's going to play the par three with Sam and have a big father-son celebration the way the Nicholases always do during the par three contest on Wednesday. And he's going to hop back on the private jet Wednesday night and going to be deuces. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I think it's as likely as anything. Um, okay. I don't think Tiger wants to go out there and hack it around and miss the cut, right? I don't think that's something that a guy with his competitive fire has any interest in doing. So if he can't go at the level that he wants to go, I don't think Tiger's going to go out there and you're going to have U.S. Open Tiger playing on a broken leg. I think Tiger has proved at this point everything he needs to prove and doesn't need to do that. So he has the accident, and then he says, you know, I've come back, I can play golf, and he said, you know, I won't play a full season or a full tour, but I can play tournaments here and there. With that idea, if that's the way Tiger Woods is thinking, does he play in another major? Does he play in the Masters or anything ever again if the idea is I, I'm not going to go out there unless I think I can actually compete? Well, I think if you're Tiger Woods, you absolutely think you can compete. But at this point, the man knows his body well enough. He's been going through physical issues for the better part of 15 years now. So he knows whether he can do it. And I think it's going to be a matter of him ramping himself up every time for the majors and figuring out, if he can in the moment. Look, th there's no question that he still wants Nicholas's major record. And so if that's all he does from here on out, could Tiger win a major at 50? I think he can. Because if all you're asking him to do is fire it up one more time, then you got a Toby Keith song on your hands. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Who's Toby Keith? Love it. This is a go right here. No, no, shut up. Dan Snyder. Withhold ticket no. sales from the NFL. Oh, no? Okay. We, we, no, I mean, we do have to talk. I guess we do have to talk about Dan Snyder. My just general reaction is no when I hear Dan Snyder. So front office sports had this story. I'll read from what they wrote. According to NFL bylaws, all teams are required to pass along 40% of ticket sales from each home game, minus some handling uh, charges and taxes, to the league, which then dispenses the funds to the visiting teams. At least one person gave information in recent weeks to congressional investigators that alleges the commanders did not pass along the full 40%. Two sources with knowledge of the investigation told front office sports. It is not clear how long this alleged scheme ran for or who authorized it. The commanders in the NFL learned of the allegations in recent weeks. Um, Dan Snyder not giving the NFL all the money he was supposed to give them is the... Least surprising and least disgusting controversy out of Washington. And because of all that, it's going to be the one that jeopardizes him the most with NFL owners, if it's true. The owners will put up with all of the other frat boy shenanigans from the Snyders. What they won't put up with is not getting their money. And I think Dan Snyder could find himself in a world of hurt over this one if it's true that he was not giving the money that he was supposed to give to the NFL. I'm sure when the investigators call, he'll just say, whoa, 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 that's my wife's team. I don't run that team. <laughs> Would he throw his own wife under the bus? He'd throw his yes! own children under the bus and then run back over them. So the Washington commanders, I, I think you're right, and it's 
not necessarily a new take or anything, but this is this appears to be if it ends up being true, if they end up finding proof of it, this appears to be the actual event that gets Dan Snyder out of the NFL more so than any of the other issues that Washington has had, regardless of how ridiculous they are or how benign this one is in comparison. This will be the one because, like you said, they, he took money, he took their money from them, and that is the one thing that is unacceptable. Uh. Uh, we'll see. The Dolphins traded Devontae Parker to the Patriots. The Patriots sent a third rounder to Miami and actually got a fifth rounder back. Uh, Miami had a Tyree kill. They have Jalen Waddle had a very good rookie season, so they didn't have as big of a need for Devontae Parker. Here's a uh, question for you. Comparing to the Raiders, what's a better trade? A third round pick for Devontae Parker, where you actually get a fifth back and then you have to pay him the next two years, less than $10 million each year, or sending a first and a second to get Devontae Adams and then signing him to what's now the second biggest wide receiver deal in NFL history. Bill Belichick made one of those deals. <laughs> I'll trust hey, Bill Belichick. Hey, he hired the guys that made the other deal, though. Bill Belichick actually made this deal. And the biggest criticism that we saw uh, from Bill Barnwell from ESPN, who Bill Barnwell did, if you haven't read it, you should, an extensive breakdown as to why the Devontae Adams trade might not be as big a win for the Raiders as everyone has hailed it. Uh, he said, I cannot imagine Bill Belichick making this trade the way that Ziegler and McDaniels did. All right. So the Raiders should have traded for Devontae Parker instead. Maybe he wasn't available. And we, we, what we definitely know is he didn't play college football with Derek Carr. That's that's the key there. Did Devontae, did Devontae Parker play with Mac Jones? I don't see how the Patriots get any better here. You got to have guys that played together in college. You got to do exactly what the Bengals did. Well, yeah, you have to make sure that they know each other from back in the day. And you also have to make sure that you get them in the same physical shape than they were when they were 20 makeup stuff lights fc beat charleston battery two to one over the weekend it is the best start officially the best start to a season that lights fc has ever had that's not a high bar to clear yes i am fully aware of that uh but very important danny trejo scored two more times he is the leading goal scorer in the united soccer league early in the season i have genuine excitement that this team might actually make the playoffs this year so, okay, I, I need you to explain something to me that I do not understand. How is a 77-year-old leading the USL in goals? <laughs> I know who the actor Danny Trejo actually is. Oh. Why? Why? Because I, at one point, Googled this Danny Trejo for Lights FC last season and was like, oh, I recognize that old guy. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you a movie's actually in, but I've seen him in a movie at some point in my life. Okay. Second thing, Charleston Battery kids. sounds like an auto repair shop in South Carolina. <laughs> Charleston Battery? <laughs> Listen, I don't know what I don't know what you want me to tell you. That's what they're named. I it's I, I will say this: it is better than the majority of names that soccer teams get in this country. It is better than FC Tulsa or Loudoun United or Miami FC or Indy Eleven. Those are the names of a lot of the teams in the Eastern Conference. So. Even if I don't know what the hell battery is supposed to mean is their nickname, it's better than just being Blank City FC or 
United or the Indy team is Indy 11, which is still stupid to me. Well, maybe that was the year that they got started. Kalong told me a couple days ago. You got to get rid of this echo. (laughs) (laughs) Can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. (laughs) Thad Mata will be the next head coach Uh at Butler. He coached at Butler for one season. 2000 to 2001 and then left for Xavier. He last coached in 2016-17 at Ohio State. I think the key detail here is if you remember, UNLV at one point was linked to Thad Mata. There was a whole press conference scheduled and everything for Thad Mata to be the next head coach. Um, But in reality, Thad Mata was just using UNLV and a couple other schools. I think Georgia was on that list too as a negotiation tactic because he had a buyout from Ohio State and to get the buyout, he had to prove that he was actively looking for jobs so his name would be leaked for a job every offseason. His buyout ended in June of 2020. So now he's got all the reason to actually be a head coach in Thad Mata. Back head coaching. I'm a little surprised. I'm going to jump back real quick here because I have as much interest in Thad Mata as he had in UNLV. Uh, the Charleston Battery. The Battery <laughs> is a landmark defensive seawall and promenade in Charleston, South Carolina. Named for a Civil War coastal defense artillery battery at the site, it stretches along the lower shores of the Charleston Peninsula. Sounds so like there a you great go. Name. Apparently, they're a great defensive team. Yeah, it sounds like a great name to me. I mean, they weren't very good defensively against the lights, but that's okay. They got the leading goal scorer. Who is? Coming up next, the Oakland A's are getting sued in Oakland. Does it mean they're coming to Vegas? Swing and a high fly ball, right field, coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one 2-1. to one. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, featuring Adam Candy. Coming up in a few minutes, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus is going to join the show. But for now, we're going to talk about the Las Vegas A's. Uh, The A's are still trying to get a ballpark in Oakland. They're trying to build a $13 billion project that would include a ballpark plus a mixed-use development in Oakland. Uh, Earlier this year, they got an environmental impact report approved in Oakland. But they're now being sued over that. There is now a lawsuit in Oakland saying that the the impact review, the environmental impact review, didn't take enough things into account uh, and that this is going to have an adverse effect on the surrounding area that the A's want to put this ballpark. I honestly don't have any idea if this is going to have any merit, if this is going to actually hold up the A's, or if this is eventually just going to be thrown out and not be a big deal. So I don't know that it'll be an issue for the A's or not. What I do know is that Dave Cobble talked to Mick Akers of the Review Journal and said a few things. First off, Mick tweeted, just chatted with A's president Dave Cobble. He said the site that the A's could potentially build a Las Vegas ballpark at could come out in the next four to six weeks. And that announcement could also include renderings of the stadium. Mick also tweeted, A's president Dave Cobble said players on the team have expressed excitement about the potential of relocating to Vegas during the team's spring training in Arizona. And here is what is incredible about Dave Cobble and Las Vegas. Anytime something happens in Oakland 
with their plans to get a ballpark there. Anytime he talks to the Review Journal and hypes up Las Vegas. It could be a meeting in Oakland, right, where they're trying to get something approved in favor of the ballpark, right? There could be a vote that's coming down about the ballpark or something like that. Or in this case, it could just be a lawsuit where somebody is suing their plan to build a ballpark. Anytime something happens, he starts talking up Vegas. The problem, though, is that when he talks up Vegas, he never gives any actual details. It'll be, we bid on some land. Doesn't say where, doesn't say how much, doesn't say how big it is. No idea. Just trust them. They bid on some land. Maybe we could release some renderings of a stadium in a month. Maybe, just, just maybe. Players love Las Vegas, right? None of this means anything about Las Vegas potentially getting the A's. None of those are important. It doesn't matter if the players that are in spring training with the A's care about Las Vegas. Hell, it doesn't even matter if he releases renderings. They've already got renderings of the ballpark in Oakland, right? None of that matters. So until Dave Cavill actually starts to talk details about how this would get paid for in Vegas, there's really no reason to believe him or listen to anything he has to say about, well, maybe we'll announce something. We really like Vegas. The players love it. Like, there's no reason to listen to anything he says until there's an actual detail about how this ballpark in Vegas would get paid for. Yeah, I mean, it must be nice to be able to just get the message out to Las Vegas uh, unfiltered anytime you want. Uh, Dave has definitely done that in this situation. And, you know, I, I don't understand why anyone in Oakland right now would think that continuing to play this leverage game is going to mean anything in Oakland because look at what's going on with this lawsuit. This lawsuit doesn't have anything to do with what are the A's serious. Like this lawsuit has everything to do with the fact that where the A's want to build in Oakland is first of all, it was their last choice of sites. And second of all, it has the highest impact on the port area. And that was why it wasn't the first choice from the beginning. So if they weren't serious about it in Oakland, then there wouldn't be a lawsuit going on. So it is a serious effort to build a ballpark for the A's in Oakland. It's just going to take a little bit more work and consensus. And you can keep talking about buying sites here, or picking out, I don't care. Where is the money for the stadium? That's it. That's all that matters in the end. Anything else is noise. I I will say that 1-800-THE-LAND is having like a sale this Friday. Only this Friday? It's not every day? No, it's like a special sale on top of their normal, like, you know, great prices. I hear they're Jared, near Las Vegas. Jared, what's the phone number? It's literally just 1-800-THE-LAND.COM. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Don't go to... That's the that's the website, too. Oh, my dog. Oh, Ty excited. Tyler's dogs are calling right now. <laughs> they are. They want some land right now. Um, also on the A's, who decided after winning over 80 games and the playoffs getting expanded to add more teams this year, decided to tear everything down, trade away all their players of note. Uh, they traded Sean Manaya on Sunday to the Padres. Sean Manaya then turned around and started against the A's in a spring training game yesterday. Padres jersey, bright green glove because he had just gotten traded. The Padres did give up uh, two of their top 20 prospects to get Sean Manaya, But on the A's side, their payroll is just north of $30 million 
for this season as they are one of the, not the only team, but one of the teams in Major League Baseball that are simply not trying to win or be competitive at all. Uh, and my favorite part of all that in context is that Dave Cobble told Ed Graney a couple weeks ago that, well, once we get a new ballpark, we're going to start spending money on players. If we come to Vegas, we're going to have great players and not let them go. John Fisher, the owner of the A's, has a net worth of $2.4 billion. Billion. And he can't afford to spend more than $30 million on a team. So let's leave that piece to the side for a second and just say this. You can't trust them. Why would you trust this franchise? They've, they've shown nothing in Oakland to suggest that you should trust them when they get here. So there you go, Vegas. You, you want this team? You want a team spending $30 million on payroll. You want a team that the first time you do what Golden Knights fans have done this year and don't show up en masse for every game, they start threatening you with trading players? Stop it. It's insane. Look, nothing about this makes sense. Nothing about this adds up the way that the Raiders stuff ultimately added up. Nothing about this makes sense. I mean, I would get to watch the Astros nine times a year in Las Vegas, so that makes sense for me. Congratulations to you, Tyler Bischoff, getting to bring your own trash can to the game. That'd be great. I I I should do that. I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to an Astros game sometime this month. I should do that, right? Take a trash can. That'd be fun. Are you gonna go to one in Houston? Because I feel like if you go to one in Houston, you might want to catch the national uh, National Museum of Funeral History. Oh my history. god! Oh my god! No, I will not be going to Houston again unless it's maybe for the World Series. Or I will make the same mistake this year that I made last year and pay money to go watch my team lose the World Series. It's always fun when you can do that. Um, I haven't done that. I have paid money to go watch my team lose the Stanley Cup Final. Yeah, that's fun. That's not it? fun either. Yeah. Getting beer poured on me in Colorado. Oh, that's right. I remember that story. Yeah. Do- dodging right. small fires walking back to my car. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll take the A's here. Let's do it. Let's build the ballpark within walking distance of my house. And so that nine days a year, I can go watch the Astros play. That seems worth it. We'll give them like a billion dollars. I think that's worth it to the to the city. Well, I mean, Buffalo just upped the ante on us, right? <laughs> we don't want to be one up by Buffalo. You're I right. Mean, we gave we gave seven fifty. They gave eight fifty. Why not just make it a cool billion? Right. We better we better start giving out some money here. I can't believe Buffalo's. How are they building a new stadium and not putting a dome on that thing? Because one of their biggest advantages is making everyone freeze their cojones off. But like, put a dome on it. <laughs> Put a roof on the dam. That's a good, a great response, Tyler. Great response. But, 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 put a dome on it. Put a roof. Who cares who's freezing? Put a roof on it. It's way better that way. They got Josh Allen right now. Put a roof on it. What, Josh gonna... Allen trained for this. Yeah, Josh Allen willingly lent to Laramie, Wyoming. Yeah, and then he lost when he had to go to the hot weather destination of Las Vegas. He lost to UNLV. They're not going to be prepared to win in the Super Bowl when it's in a dome. They got to play in a dome all the time, so they're ready. Yeah, somehow I think they'll make it. Coming up next, Eric Eager joins the show. Yeah, I think you have to. One, it's a valuable, it's a, it's a valuable experience that he's went through um, because he's got he's had the opportunity to play um, different positions, and and uh, and again, you learn things from going through that. Um, but yeah, when you're when you're you know used to playing on one side and you move to the other side, that's another transition that you have to go through. And so, um, you know, 
again, Alex is a young, talented player. Um, got to play a lot of snaps last year, which was really valuable for him. And we're excited to excited to work with him and kind of kind of just let him carve out his path, you know, and let him carve out what he does best, and then kind of see where it goes from there. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff, featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Eric Eager. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. All right, Eric, something you tweeted this morning talking about edge rushers and how their athleticism translates from college to the NFL better than most positions and that if you reach an edge rusher, you're more likely to fail than other positions. What's the best position to reach on in the NFL draft? What's the position that uh, we do the worst job at translating from college to the NFL and that teams are better off gambling on? That's a really interesting question. I, you know, my my colleague Timo Risky wrote an article last year that basically said, you know, reaches almost always, you know, reaches are negative EV to talk, you know, and, and gambling parlance. And essentially, like, there, there's no such thing as a draft steal, meaning if the market has determined, if all 32 teams have determined this player should fall to pick 32, he's probably the 32nd best player. But if one team decides to reach on a player, that one team might be wrong. It's sort of the wisdom of the crowd, the whole uh, you know, thing there. Um, that being said, like I would say, you know, the markets are the most efficient offensive line, defensive line, um, quarterback, weirdly, um, pretty efficient there. So like the further away you get from the ball, the more maybe scheme dependent a player is. And so we're less likely to be able to translate what they did at the college level to the pro level, because schemes can often, you know, make the difference uh, of way more of, uh, you know, output potential for those guys relative to the guys near the line of scrimmage. Eric, how do we take some of that information that is out there that you guys are doing the research on and apply it to what really matters, which is making money on betting the NFL draft? (laughs) That's a great, so I, I would say the so again teams are teams are overly cautious in the draft so they're going to load up on edge players tackles um, quarterbacks are always kind of pushed up to the front so you know almost always if you bet an over on a draft prop for a wide receiver or a defensive back you're doing okay um, I would say. Um, so, you know, like Sauce Gardner, he, his, his prop is gone. I mean, I, I saw DraftKings was like under eight and a half with minus 200 or something like that. Like a plus price prop on that over might be okay. Um, you know, the wide receivers, you have Wilson, you have London, you have uh, Williams, all of them 10 and a half or more. Um, you know, remember we were so surprised how far Jerry Judy uh, and CeeDee Lamb fell in 2020. Um, you know, similarly for the, you know, Devontae Smith of the world last year. So, like, to me, I, I think teams knowing, you know, intuitively what we know, which is that wide receivers are a big gamble, corners are a big gamble, they fall a little bit more than expectations. I have a question on DK Metcalf, who might be available in a trade. Should a team give up something for DK Metcalf, who's at the end of his rookie contract, or have we seen enough from rookie wide receivers that you're better off just using, even if it's a second round pick, to just draft a rookie and, and see if you can get close to the same production that DK Metcalf would give you? 
Well, there is some surety there. There's also the, tr- the trial period. So this is not a wide receiver, but I think that the similarities are instructive. The Chiefs traded, you know, basically what amounted to a low first-round pick, early second-round pick for Orlando Brown last year. Orlando Brown plays well, but, you know, not necessarily bowling the doors off. They give him the franchise tag, and, and they get to extend the decision another year for him. That, that's really what the thing with Metcalf is. It's like, or Terry McLaurin, even if you think about uh, his availability as well, is you, you trade for a guy at the end of a rookie deal. You have one or two options. You can extend him at a market level deal, which you know, adding to the draft capital you have to give up. Then there's the money you have to give up. That's a pretty big risk. Or you can trade draft capital and then let the guy play out his deal. There's the risk that you'll never come to terms with him. There's the risk that you know you play. He's a one and done player. Uh, there's also a risk that you put him on the franchise tag and the market balloons, uh, you know, like it did for other players like, like Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins when they put them on the franchise tag. Um, and so I don't, I mean, I, Metcalf to me, I think if I was a team that was a wide receiver away, if I was the Green Bay Packers or you know, a team like that, but even the Packers don't necessarily have the cap space, you know, to extend him even in future years, it, it's a really tough question. I think it's a good one. And I, and I think, the, the, the plethora of wide receivers that are going to be available in the coming draft does it certainly complicate it. When we talk about giving out contracts plus the value of draft picks, I and mean, here in Vegas we obviously come right back to the Devontae Adams question, and I have had angry Raiders fans yell at me about saying this trade has a lot more risk than, than you think it does. Uh, where did you fall on the Devontae Adams to the Raiders trade? Adam, I think you're right. I mean, here's the thing. For one, Adams is near 30 years old. The contract, it's not just what you gave up in draft capital. It's also what you gave up in contract. Um, you know, there's also the implication that he wants to play with Derek Carr, which means that eventually the Raiders are going to have to give Derek Carr a market-level deal. And, and weirdly, um, you know, with all the, 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 you know, Kirk Cousins is of the world, the Jared Goff of the world, of Carson Wentz, the, the Derek Carr contract actually was the best among them because it was long enough where by the time he was near the end, he was a, you know, his number had become a value to the Raiders. Well, that goes away when you increase it by $20 million. Um, so there's a lot of risk there. This is also a roster where, because of the Mayock and Gruden era, they, they haven't hit on a draft pick really forever. Um, and so the, the, the talent on the team is not young. It, it's very uh, you know, uh, a la carte, if you will. So there, there's a lot of issues. And, um, you know, in a division where you're plus 600 to even win the division, it's like, was it even worth it? Like, is, is, it, is, is it maybe time to sort of, like, let the thing breathe for a little bit, wait for the teams like the Chargers and the Broncos to atrophy uh, before uh, you sort of compete again? That is a, I guess, maybe an ideal way to look at where the Raiders should have gone, but it's also got to be a hard way for a first-year head coach and general manager to say, you know what, I know we got this job. Give us a couple of years before we actually try to win. Yeah, and, and you're seeing that in other places like like Minnesota. Um, you're seeing that, um, you, you know, where, you know, the, the previous regime sort of squeezed all the juice out of the orange the results were pretty modest with a, a pretty good but not great quarterback. And ultimately, the, the first the guy that comes in, you know, their impetus is, no, take what, what the p- previous people were doing and win with it as opposed to, you know, breaking, breaking it down and restarting because what the approach to winning that the other regime was doing wasn't going to work in the first place. Similarly, 
I saw you took a, a fair amount of grief uh, from some folks talking about the Tyreek Hill trade and saying that, you know, this is sort of a consequence of, you know, of some other decisions that have been made by Kansas City and that it might not have been the wrong choice when I think, you know, uh, the common wisdom that was out there was saying, how can you trade Tyreek Hill? How can you break up the trio uh, that's in Kansas City? So uh, what was behind your opinion on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Chiefs were, and look, the Chiefs, you know, when they had Patrick Mahomes on a rookie deal, they, you know, any team that has, and we've seen this with the Chargers, any team that has a brilliant quarterback on a rookie deal um, can act like the Yankees, right? Like the Chiefs had three years, $16 million per year to, to Sammy Watkins. They, they spent a first and a second and $100 million on Frank Clark. And like neither one of those signings was really good broadly, but like it didn't matter because you know, you have so much slack. You have so your your owner is the Steinbrenners when when you have uh, a quarterback on a rookie deal who's a great player. Um, you know, when and and they went all in in 2020. I think that made sense. You know, we didn't know the Bills were as good as they are now. Uh, Tom Brady left the conference. Uh, we didn't know Herbert and, and Burrow were that good, so on and so forth. But you know, now you look at the AFC and there's not a ton of value for Kansas City in trying to squeeze out the next one seed. Right, especially at the expense of future years, and they only had 22 players under contract uh, in in 2023, and and so they need players on cost control deals, and, and they need money, and, and they got both with with the Tyree Kill trade. Uh, and losing Tyree Kill is, is tough, um, but you know defenses were adjusting so, to sort of his style of play. His average depth of target went down two and a half yards last year. His average his uh, yards after the catch average went down by a yard and a half. So, you know, in, in some ways, this is just a restart for Kansas City. And, and, I, and I can't think of any other way to restart than with Patrick Mahomes, uh, his contract, um, you know, 12 draft picks uh, and $20 million additional in cap space. Eric Eager with us. Let's, let's stay in the AFC West to wrap this up. How good should the Broncos expect to be in year one with Russell Wilson? Well, their their schedule is the easiest in the AFC West. Um, that helps. Um, new head coach though, uh, Nathaniel Hackett uh, hasn't really. He's not been a head coach before. He hasn't called plays in a while. Uh, last time he did, it kind of ended in disaster in Jacksonville. <laughs> so there's some question marks there. Um, the offense, you know, they're very much trying to do the same thing with Wilson that they did with Rodgers in Green Bay, which is take a a brilliant freelancer and try to hone in in the pocket, make him make better reads and, and be a good quarterback in a more structured system. Um, I don't know if Wilson has that in him, um, but if he does, I think that they're going to be pretty effective. The defense did lose, uh, you know, Von Miller, obviously from last year. Um, and they lose, you know, Vic Fangio, who I think is a plus play caller on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but they should be pretty good. I mean, I think the market where they are currently, which is last time I looked is like five to two to win the AFC West. I think it makes a lot of sense. Early in the offseason, they were more favored than, than the Chargers, which I didn't really agree with. Now, I think they're about on par with the Chargers, which I think makes a lot of sense to me. Well, he is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Eric, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. So, Eric Eager, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA because somehow the 76ers are getting the Nets to pay them Ben Simmons' salary. 
You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler featuring Adam Candy. So the 76ers, they haven't been paying Ben Simmons very much money this year. They have been withholding money from his paycheck. He was with the 76ers at one point and wasn't playing. And that was their logic there that they withheld nearly 20 million from him. Ben Simmons is now filing a grievance against the 76ers, basically citing, hey, there's no reason you should have been withholding this money. I could not play for legitimate reasons, citing mental health. And you guys should have been paying me anyways, because that's not a reason to withhold pay. But the detail from Adrian Wojnarowski's story that I thought was fascinating is that with Ben Simmons being traded to the Nets, the 76ers are still withholding salary from Ben Simmons. They The Nets are actually sending the 76ers part of Ben Simmons' paycheck instead of giving it all to Ben Simmons. The So the Sixers have a, another team sending them money for a player they traded away. Apparently, the 76ers gave Ben Simmons an advance payment of $16 million before the season started. And they have been trying to recoup that. That's where these payments from the Nets apparently come in because there wasn't enough when he was with the 76ers to take it all right away. It's had to extend into his paycheck since he's been traded to the Nets. I don't know if Ben Simmons is actually going to end up winning his grievance. I don't know how uh, legitimate of a chance he has to win that grievance and basically get what's nearly $20 million back from the 76ers. But I find it fascinating, bizarre, and almost unbelievable that the Sixers have had another team sending them money to withhold payments to a player that is not a 76er anymore. I am just about done with all the Ben Simmons stuff. How much <laughs> time and effort have we spent talking about a less successful player than Ben Simmons? Really, Tyler, when was the last time a guy who has had this little impact in the NBA got this much of our attention? Wow. He's had an impact, just not always positive. Well, there you go. (laughs) This is not James Harden, who he was traded for. This is not Joel Embiid, who he wanted away from. Like, these these pieces are, are not coming together for me because Ben Simmons is a limited player. Ben Simmons, what? What are we gonna? What are we, can we call Ben Simmons? The best non-shooting player in the league? I don't even think he can do that. I think Draymond Green is the best non-shooting player in the league. So, why is it that we are still talking about this guy? It's it's amazing to me. Uh, it, maybe Ben Simmons develops in Brooklyn and it's the right situation for him, and it turns out to be great. But if any of us are still left talking about who won this trade, it's, it's insane. It's uh, is Lonzo Ball the answer to your question? The last player without as big without a big impact that got talked about so much, and we know why. <laughs> I have to be we honest though. Why. That was at least entertaining. That's the thing. Like, Lavar Ball has pros and cons that we've discussed ad nauseum in the past. But man, that AT and T commercial with Lithamello and Lamar. Uh, Lavar, I actually like that. Oh boy, oh boy. I think that's funny. I think Lamelo makes it. Is I think it, Lamelo is a good actor in that commercial. Is it a good thing 
that LaMelo Ball was not the oldest. Like, if LeVar Ball's oldest son had been LaMelo and was obviously, like, awesome point guard. Like, it's a good thing that his best son in the NBA was not his oldest, right? I guess so, yeah. I mean, it it had a chance to screw him up more, right? Well, like, just, like, there, there was... Probably not, but there was probably some level of humbling for LeVar Ball when Lonzo Ball was not better than Michael Jordan when he first came into the league. If his best uh, son had been his oldest, then it would have been I, worse from LeVar Ball. I think the humbling might have come when LiAngelo got kicked off his team. Yeah, yeah that happens. That happens. Well, he was the one playing in uh, Lithuania for the guy selling meat out of the back of his car. Uh, it, it, there's no way... <laughs> There's no way that it's as good as uh, as Meetup Vegas. Ah, Cofield isn't Cofield's. How many pounds of meat is it? Twenty nine pounds of meat. <laughs> uh, quickly on some of the games that happened yesterday, uh, the Mavericks beat the Bucks one eighteen to one twelve. Luca had thirty two eight and fifteen. Here's my question for you on the Mavericks. They're currently the four seed in the West. They're actually not far behind the Warriors. Could conceivably catch them for the three seed. How far away is Dallas from being a title contender? Or do you believe they are one this year? So I think Dallas is not a contender this year because we are not giving near enough credit to the Phoenix Suns for just how dominant they've been throughout the season. That being said, I don't think they're terribly far away. Uh, if Spencer Dinwiddie continues to perform at a level that looks like a reasonable number three, then they're a number two away from being able to get uh, into serious discussion. And I know I'm going to sound like old man yells a cloud here, maybe even more than usual, but you get this level of Luca in stretches. You don't get this level of Luca all year long. I just wonder if fitness wise, body wise, he's going to have to take another step to be able to do this for an 80 plus game regular season and four playoff rounds. Uh, conceivably he can coast in the regular season. As long as he can do this, have this stretch in the postseason, right? Sure. But I don't know that the NBA is ever going to be a league where you win with one player anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even LeBron couldn't do it. Yeah. I, uh, I like watching Luca play. I hope we get consistent good Luca and a team that actually can win the NBA title because he's he's fun to watch. It was fun to watch beating the Bucks. Um, the other uh, fun NBA game, Nikola Jokic had thirty eight and eighteen as the Nuggets beat the Lakers. Basically, by the way, ended the Lakers' playoff hopes. They're two behind the Spurs for the ten seed, and the Spurs have the tiebreaker. LeBron didn't end up playing, but Nikola Jokic had thirty eight and eighteen. Uh, every single advanced stat metric has Nikola Jokic as the best player in the NBA. Does he actually win the MVP, though? Oh, yeah, he's go he's going to win the MVP. I mean, the odds have shifted dramatically on this in the last couple of weeks. It wasn't all that long ago that Embiid was at a minus price and Nikola Jokic was sitting there, I believe, at something like plus 180. The odds have now shifted to Jokic minus 260, Embiid plus 210. This thing's over. Okay, this thing is over. Over. Uh all right, Nikola Jokic, your MVP. It's because he it's because he basically eliminated the Lakers, right? That put him over the top. The LeBron Jamesless Lakers. That was the game that that it's, sealed it for Nikola Jokic. It's because a lot of uh, shall we say past their prime basketball writers can look at Nikola Jokic's body and say, <laughs> "Oh man, I bet I could do that." 
He's a, he's relatable to NBA basketball writers. He knows the votership. He knows who's <laughs> voting for him. I'm going to look like you and win MVP. Hey, hey. 